In this week's episode of the CMB Podcast, I share with you an eye-opening chat with one of Christian Music's most respected music executives, John Mays. We talked about the music business, artist development, and the future of music. That's what's today on the CMB Podcast, Session 31. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CMB Podcast. I'm Nate Fancher. Happy to be back again this week for the 31st session. We're just ticking right along here. So thank you for joining me. The CMB Podcast seeks to serve artists and songwriters in their journey of music making through eyes of faith. That's what we're about. Here on the podcast, we cover a variety of subjects that matter to the Christian musician. In fact, we will have people on the podcast that um, may not even be musical. But there is something that they do um, in the world. There is something that they contribute uh, that does affect musical people. So, for example, coming up soon on a podcast episode, I have a guy named Tim Challies who's a blogger and an author and a pastor and um, is not musical. And um, but but he's got an important message and a very exciting. Um, thing that he contributes to the world, I think. And so I thought it would be very appropriate to have him on the podcast at some point here. So uh, just be on the head, be on the lookout for that one coming up here soon. So, um, but again, we, we are a podcast um, that really is all about serving folks who are um, looking to grow in their artistic craft as well as their musical craft. Um, those are two separate things, I think, uh, but yet they're together. And also develop a biblical worldview of making music. So, um, I invite you to join us if you're in that category because we at CMB are on that same journey. Um, this isn't the kind of podcast where I, I claim to be the expert and you, the listener, um, are, are learning from me. No, this is really about just being an instigator, being an initiator of a conversation, and, um, and I, I hope that you'll join us. So head over to christianmusicblog.com and you can sign up for our email list. And um, if you stick with me through this episode, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you how you can get a free gift. So in today's episode, um, we are going to um, share with you a conversation that I had with John Mays. Um, As I said in the opening of the podcast, John is um, a a really respected music executive. He is currently the VP of... um, a&R at Centricity Music, and he kind of explains what A&R is, if, if, if some of you out there don't know what that means. Um, A&R does stand for Artist and Repertoire, and, um, and he kind of goes into some of that, but he currently works at Centricity Music, but he's, he's got quite a resume. He um, is responsible for signing guys like Matt Redman. He signed Point of Grace. He signed, um, I think, Cindy Morgan. He's worked with all kinds of other artists as well. Um, so t- currently, for example, he's working with Aaron Schust. He works with the band down here, and uh, we could keep going. But um, he he was the president of Benson Records, which was a very um, very important Christian record label back in the day. And um, he's just had a lot of influence in the Christian music business. And you know, when you get to know him and you, and you sit down with him, you just see he's just a genuine guy. He's down to earth. 
So we want to go ahead and get right into the conversation that we had. And um, again, if you are new with us, you can check out our, our show notes. Uh, if you go to christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 31, you'll, you'll see all of the notes for today's episode. That's over at christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 31. I'm here with John Mays. It's a real honor and a privilege to have John on the podcast today. John is VP of A&R at Centricity Music, and um, he's he's seen some things in the Christian music business over the years. And he's a he's a he's a leader. He's awesome, and I'm really privileged to be with him today. Thanks, John. Hey, thanks for asking me to be on your podcast. I'm enjoying meeting you. So, um, why don't we start with your story in the Christian music business? Kind of what prompted yeah. you to get going in that and Maybe go back as early as, I don't know, you're a musician yourself, so I'm right. sure that led into right. it. It did. It was it was the beginning of my journey. I was one of the, the lucky people that knew what I wanted to do at a really early age, and I got to do it. Uh, I grew up in a in a pretty hardcore Pentecost, and while there may, there may be a lot of things theologically I'm still wrestling with over that, one thing I'm grateful for is that they really loved music. If anybody's ever been in a Pentecostal church, they know what I'm talking about. A, a good service in a Pentecostal church would be when there was no preaching and the music just went for the whole, maybe go three or four hours, you know. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And by the time I was eight or ten years old, I was playing in what would be the equivalent today of the worship band. It, it wasn't that back then. It was basically the, if you could get it in the car and bring it to church, you could play it. You know, it wasn't nearly as organized as it is today. But it was really the beginning of my love for music and playing music. Uh, and I don't know, but the time I was probably 11 or 12, I knew I wanted to play music and be involved in music. So uh, um, my folks sent me to a music camp in Dallas. I grew up way in West Texas uh, at a Assembly of God school called Southwestern. And I think it was just sort of a recruiting tool for them. They had this little school in the summers. But um, I went and met some guys there that were just like me, you know, they just rather rather play music than eat, which sort of turned out to be prophetic. But uh, we just made a pact that when we got out of high school, we were going to start a band. They were from East Texas. Uh, So I didn't go to college. As soon as I graduated, I moved over across the state, and we started a band that played anything it could get. It it was a bar band or a club or um, and we played anything that we could play, and, and it was my hungry years for sure, those two or three years. But we opened for, at some fair, we opened for a group uh, called the Spear Family. They were a Southern Gospel singing family that had been around forever. They, uh, I guess, heard me play that night, and were looking for a bass player. So they said, we're, we're auditioning players in Nashville, such and such date. And if you want to come audition, you know, come come on, we'd love to have you. So it was one of those things like, gosh, I can, it, I, I'm really hungry. <laughs> I'm sort of tired of this now. It had been, you know, a few years. And it didn't look like anything was going to come of my musical pursuits. So I just thought, uh, I'll go. I can close this chapter of my life by saying I got to go to Nashville and do this audition. That's fun. And 
and then I'll go back home and work in the oil field with my dad, which is what everybody does that grows up in Andrews, Texas. So I got the job and it changed my life in so many ways. My wife-to-be was singing with that group at the time. We married a year later. Obviously, I started getting paid to play music with these guys, which blew my mind. In a way, it blows my mind still today. So I had a a four or five year part of my life there where I just played with different touring bands, sort of a road musician guy. That led to uh, session work where I was just playing on recording. That was about five years. And I, I worked a lot for a producer in town named Neil Joseph, who was tapped by Word uh, records to start a an A and R office in Nashville. They didn't have one at that time. They had one in LA, and they were in their office was in Waco, Texas. They had a publishing office in Nashville, but not a creative office. So he took me to lunch one day and said, "You know, I'm not going to be producing much anymore because I've taken this job, but I need to hire an A and R guy, and I think you'd be good at it." And and I literally asked him, "What is that? I don't. I never never had never heard of it." So that was in 87, and uh, uh, it just seemed like, you know, you can look over your shoulder and see how God lines things up, and you don't see it at the time, but certainly when I look back now, I could see the development of my family, my spiritual life, just where I was in my creative life. That was definitely the right move for me to make, even though I didn't really know what the job was, and I'd never had a real job, you know, like where you have a desk and policies and you have hours and memos and all that sort of thing. So that was that was a new thing for me. And I remember about a year in realizing that I hadn't opened or taken my base out of the bag for almost a year. And it was a piece of my life, you know, that I'd spent all these years with. And r- remember wrestling with, I don't I don't think I like this more than I liked playing. So it, it took me a while to adjust. But after a, a year, year or two, I've, I sort of found my own to do A&R uh, according to my own skill set and gifting. Uh, so that was in 87. I worked for Word for eight years and then went to Sparrow. I was there three years, went to Benson for two years. I was actually president of Benson, but also did all the A&R because we were a very small staff. And uh, then was fortunate enough to be at the birthing of Centricity, which was sort of a two-year process. Uh, before we actually sort of went live, if you will, our first uh, releases were in 06. So you, we could say that's the first year we actually did business and been here ever since. Uh, my first try at an indie label. And in so many ways, it was crazy to do it because in the mid 2000s, the music industry was falling apart. And uh, there were so many reasons not to do it, but uh, God's been gracious to us and very kind in a lot of the things we've tried. So many things we've tried, we've had the benefit to try have been, that's been fantastic, but they haven't worked. And, you know, we we learn as we go and we're still doing that. But that's, uh, you know, I'm 57 years old, so I could take two days to tell my story, but that's everything in sort of a, a nutshell. No, that's... That's awesome. And so today's conversation really was birthed in my my heart just to have an open dialogue with you, just questions picking your brain about what A&R is, how independent artists should be thinking these days. I think 
hearing from a guy like you who's been, mm-hmm. like you just yeah. said, experimenting, working on different things, it could be really, really helpful and serve a lot of folks. So maybe we could just talk a little bit about, for those folks who, who may be completely unfamiliar with what record lab, what a record label is, maybe you could even just yeah. talk to that a little bit. Sure. And it's a it's a good time to be asking that question because it's defined in lots of ways. It it was defined the same way for what forty years or so, but since uh, since two thousand and Napster came along in ninety nine, I think it was, and things began to uh, downloading began to reshape the entire industry. What a label is can be defined in lots of different ways because in in some sense, I could be in my living room and sign you and I'm putting sign in quotations help you record something and upload it to iTunes and in a way I'm a label you know I could call myself something but anybody can call themselves a label these days because the the product flow the way to get music exposed and distributed is available to anybody so there are lots of people out there who call themselves a label uh, because they might work with an artist to record, help record their music and put it up on iTunes. And in the very essence of things, if I help you record and make your music available, I'm a label. Uh, so some guy might say, yeah, I'm XYZ label and I've got these three artists that I work with. In the traditional definition, that's not a label. A label would be a team of people who support signing an artist, getting them recorded, then promoting that music, usually through radio and distributing it, those four things, and paying for it along the way. So those are sort of the core functions. We look for artists. In other words, we scout you know, for talent. Once we've signed them, we help them make recordings. And so much of that has to do with radio, trying to get songs on the radio, which is still by far our best means of promotion. We help make those records, and then that's sort of the A&R function, Then that moves over to marketing, where they just try to tell people, here's the story of this artist, and here's why you should buy this music. And they try every way in the world they can to tell that story. But in the with the current climate we're in, if we don't get radio pretty much in the beginning, it's a bit of a non-starter for us. That's just sort of the way the industry has shaped so far. There, there are exceptions to that, you know, anything associated with a movement, passion or Hillsong or uh, Jesus culture, those kinds of things, the, the movements propel them and you, you'll see them selling lots of units, but not on the radio ever. Gunger might be an exception. There are a few, but by and large, all the labels are keying off of radio these days and very dependent on it to get the word out about any new artists or any old artists, you know, it, it doesn't matter. So I th- think that's in essence what a label does. Uh, there are companies that do those things, but do them with the artist's money. In other words, they don't provide the, the financial resources to do those things. And some people would argue, well, that's not a label. A label is, I, I grew up with the, the sort of music biz law that uh, if if anyone's asking you for money, get out of there, get out of the conversation. But that's not necessarily so true anymore. There are organizations that say, if you'll pitch in this much or if you'll pay for this, we have the manpower, if you have the financial resources to promote or record or whatever. Uh, 
we are more the traditional model where we provide the resources. We could get into a conversation about on a business level how that is recouped, how we make that money back over time, those kinds of things. But for my mind, a label is still someone who pays for this in the beginning and then hopes that the artist will get traction and begin to sell downloads and CDs so that that money comes back and we eventually make money on it. Well, that definitely leads into the next question. Yeah. Um, just kind of talking a little bit more to the artist um, who is unsigned, who who thinks about, who hears that, and they're like, well, what should I do to pursue that? Should I pursue that, or should I not even be thinking about that right now? There are just a host of questions that I'm sure artists yeah. start to ask. Well, uh, those are those are deep questions and ones that artists, I hope, all, all are asking. I do think there are some misunderstandings and myths about what signing with a label will do for an artist, especially these days when the artist, there's so much empowerment of an independent artist by technology and there's so much that you can do on your own. Uh, and, you know, we have talked to artists over the, over the last five, six years who have just sort of said, no, thank you. I've got my thing going and uh, I don't want anybody to mess with it and I'm making all the money from it and, uh, that, that's possible for indie artists today. I think the, the deepest question that artists have to ask themselves when thinking about a label or signing with a label is, are these issues about the, the, the tension that exists between music, making music or art, uh, making a living off that or business, and then glorifying God from those which... Mm. maybe we'd call that faith. If you looked at a maybe a pie that was in three pieces, all three of those pieces are really important for an artist who's signed. Obviously, they want to make great music, and the label wants them to make great music. If they're thinking about trying to do this for a living, so their ability to make money for that music begins to come into the, the conversation. And then to glorify, you know, you could do that without thinking about faith. But obviously, artists who are believers want their music to do something more than just sound good or be popular or even provide a living for them. They want it to stand for something. They want it to leave a legacy. They want it to mean something that's a greater causes a greater good, you know. So the problem is those three things just fight each other. If those three things were polar magnets and you try to hold them together, you'd just have to wrestle with that to hold those things together. So uh, I used to think I think that for artists there would be this zone or this kind of person or this kind of band or even myself where I'd get to this place of okay, I sort of got this now. I've got my balance of art and ministry and money uh, are making a living. But I've learned over the years, nobody ever figures that out. It's just a mess. It's a mess every day. <laughs> and, you know, the people I love working with are the people who acknowledge that and wrestle well with it. I, I just think if anybody, especially artists, are honest with themselves, some days you're thinking the highest thoughts you can about your work and how beautifully it points to God. You just are so happy about the music you've made and how fulfilling it is to make something that sounds that good. And some days, you know you got a car payment to make and you better book a gig or you better sell some downloads or something. 
the artist has to sort of start with that. You know, I don't think many artists that I talked to in the very beginning have thought much about that because they haven't thought that much about trying to make a living yet. But by signing with a label, you're try you are picking up that stick in a sense of saying, yes, I want to do this for my career. I want to make a living at it. You may be married. You may have kids. I want to provide a, you know, an income that feeds a family. That's difficult. Uh, any artist out there knows how difficult it is to even make a buck doing this or even make enough to pay for your next recording. That's hard. But to make a living at it is really hard. And it calls into question all kinds of messiness that you got to just wrestle well with. So I would start there with when you ask who, what, you know, what sort of artist do you, are you drawn to or what do you, what should artists be thinking about? Those three things are really tough. I remember reading, um, there's a great book called Dear Theo that are Vincent Van Gogh's letters to his brother Theodore when he was basically the last three years of his life when he was institutionalized, which is the period of his life that Theodore helped broker the sale of the only painting Van Gogh sold in his whole life. So Van Gogh gets some money for this painting that Theodore's helped him sell. He writes his brother and says, now do I paint because I see beauty or because I need to buy bread? And I read that and thought, man, people are still wrestling with this. I wrestle with it. I mean, people in church wrestle with it. It's not unique to artists, but it's just for artists, we don't think about it much because the glory is in making the music that we love so much. And then it expresses our faith in some way. Gosh, what a great thing to get to do. But then when we start to think, I need an apartment. Can I do this music in the same way? and make enough money on it, man, it just gets messy. And you start to wrestle with, why am I doing it? Because I see beauty, because I want to glorify God, or because I need to buy bread. And the trick is, they're all there. They just don't go together very well. <laughs> man. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, you're you're definitely reading my mail in that way. I mean, <laughs> I'm really thankful to be a, a, a guy on staff at a church who's, Who's who's paid to to lead worship and to do things like this conversation and it's a real blessing, yeah. and um, and yet there are all those questions about art, commerce, faith, worship, all just colliding together. Like yes. we had a conversation, uh, Robert R- Robbie C and I, um, he was yeah. on the podcast and and he said the same thing. There's just the collision of those three things: worship, commerce, and art. I, I think is how he said it, but. Pretty much the same thing. That's yeah. That's a real a real tricky tension to kind of figure out. And I think, man, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit to help us walk through that. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, um, on your site, you go into um, a few. There's a question under your FAQ page at centricitymusic.com. How do I get signed? And then there's this nice, very practical, very honest, forthright kind of uh-huh. um, four steps basically that. Yeah, you highlight work ethic, songs, uniqueness, and talent. And it's funny you put talent at the very bottom. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I hated I hated doing that, but I had to. Yeah, because I listed them in order of priority. Yeah, and and they weren't necessarily steps made. I feel like as much as things that we look for. When somebody asks me, "What are you? How do I get signed? What are you guys looking for?" I think it is those four things, and, and anybody listening to this, uh, you know, I would probably say it better in that 
FAQ than I would here. But the, the reason talent is at the bottom is because of the society we live in, and none of us have to look very far. You know, to go, okay, well, talent doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. To be successful, I don't think we'll ever find someone who isn't talented. But the definition of talent, you know, I think when I started in ANR, uh, you, you know, there were guys like Phil Keggy, who was acclaimed worldwide as one of the greatest guitar players that's ever lived, and he still is. Well, now, you know, you got a guy who can go to Chef's Music and spend $87 and buy a Fender knockoff and go home and maybe have a, a viral video within two weeks. His skill level is not really part of the, the conversation at that point. So that's just the way society has changed. I don't like it. But uh, the other three things are just more important in, to succeed than talent. That isn't to say that talent isn't important. It's just right, the least right. of those four. Yeah. yeah. And and in, and in one hand, it could be really refreshing for some folks to, to hear that because they they just need to know to, especially if they have talent, you know, then they can oh, work yeah. hard and and really. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't I don't listen to many demos of people that don't have some talent. If they've gotten to the place of recording, sending a link of their music, they're either just really courageous or they're, they have some talent. You know, somebody's affirmed that along the way, other than their moms or, or whatever. So occasionally we do get stuff like that, but it's pretty rare. It's the low two or 3%. So I'm not that worried about people who just have no talent trying to do this, but if they do, it's going to be a tough road mm, yeah, for them. For sure. Um, you've seen things, you know, obviously earlier you, you mentioned all the different labels you've worked at. You, you, I think were involved with signing point of grace, Matt Redman, um, and, 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 and more. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there are many more, obviously. Um, you work with Aaron Schust. You work with Jason Gray, um, your artist currently. And um, mm-hmm. so you've seen artists come, artists go. You've seen things work. You've seen things not work. What are the things that really stick? I mean, even from those early days when you first started working as an A&R guy, yeah. working with artists, what are the things that make for longevity in an artist's career? Yeah. Well, my answer is going to have exceptions to it, just like any answer. You know, if if someone pretends to have something figured out, then they they certainly deserve someone poking holes in their theory. You know, I and I don't have all that figured out because I think a lot of us is a mystery. Uh, I, I'll say this, uh, and I've I've talked about this publicly, but I was one of many guys. I just happened to be the first to pass on Casting Crowns when they came onto the scene, what, midnight, I don't know even when that was, late 90s, I think. Uh, and had several conversations with Mark and really great guy, I liked him a lot and thought he had good songwriting skills, but for, for my gut, it wasn't something I felt like would get signed or, you know, in this town. And well, I couldn't have been more wrong. Obviously, a lot of people passed on him, but, uh, you look at that and, and go, you know, you got to bow your knee to God's sovereignty in this stuff. He promotes and he doesn't promote. And ultimately, we do the best work that we can. We put the best seed in the ground. 
but we can't bring fruit up, right? If, if longevity could be equated to fruit and someone being able to sort of nourish themselves spiritually and, and artistically all, uh, off of an artist's work over a period of time, then really we don't have a lot of control over that. But I will tell you that what I've seen over the years is you look at an artist in general, an artist who's had a career of more than, say, seven or eight years. And that's rare. That's really rare. You know? But you look at Amy and Smitty, uh, uh, who, who am I missing? You know, people who are going on 20-plus years of a career, which is almost impossible in, in mainstream music. There are a few that have done it, but certainly country and Christian seem to have a fan base that will support people for a long time mm-hmm. like that. You know, Those people generally are great with people. That's one thing. In other words, they enjoy being with people. They may even be introverts, but when they meet someone, uh, they have a good conversation with them. They're really interested in other people. Yeah. They're not consumed by their own celebrity. Uh, they're that, and then they generally had something good to say, probably more than one good thing to say, but over a career, their songs, maybe it's between the songs, something they've said or written has stuck in the social consciousness over a period of time. I look at Andrew Peterson, you know, Andrew, we work with him, he got dropped, I don't know, two or three years before we signed him, uh, and he had just as much motion going on with the people who like his music as he did while he was signed because he's got something to say that those people benefit from. They connect to it emotionally. Uh, and just about everybody that's had that kind of career, you can find that in there. You know, In other words, there are emotional bookmarks along a fan's journey of life where they'll go, man, when I saw Amy... 12 years ago at such and such arena and she said that or she's saying that that stuck like that change i think about that today that changed my life that's the sort of stuff that we we try to sign ours that we feel like we'll get there someday you know our, our mission statement is that uh, uh enabling our artists to create life-changing experiences for the world mm. So every time we have a staff meeting, I'll try to gather a couple of emails that have come in, people that give testament to that. You know, somebody who they maybe they heard a song in prison and they came to Christ or their marriage was in a ditch and they heard a song and went to a concert or maybe even had a conversation with an artist. It sometimes doesn't have to be about music, but it's a marker. It's a stake in the ground in their life. And it went deep, and it means something substantial to that person. You look at somebody who's had a 20-year career, and there are lots of those in a lot of people's lives over time. That's the battle we face, because that really doesn't earn us a lot of money in the beginning, right? When we're wrestling with our own three things, trying to hold those messy things together, well, radio doesn't really set a spike emotionally deep in somebody's life in general you know radio is about catering to this woman who's driving the minivan that's got a couple of kids and she's not thinking real deeply about her spiritual life or her heart while she's doing that she needs some encouragement and some positivity 
the inner life, and that's what Christian music generally provides on the radio. That's not a bad, bad thing, right. but it's not that deep river of, of uh, art and emotional thought that really moves someone to maybe ask a deeper question about how they're living. Uh, that's a long-winded answer, I'm sorry, but it, it's, a, it's a long-winded no, process to think about how do I want to have a career for 20 years? I would think, by God's grace, you're praying for the ability to say something meaningful in somebody's life, whether it's through the radio or not, that sticks with them. You know? And at a certain point, you, you, you do the best you can. God only makes that happen. Awesome. You kind of broke up at the very end there. At a certain point, at a certain point, what's that? Oh, okay. At a certain point, you have to acknowledge that you do all you can do. You put the best seed that you can in the ground, but only God can bring the fruit up. If you look over your shoulder and you've had a 20-year career, it's because you've said some meaningful things in people's lives. You bow your knee to God's sovereignty and all that and making that happen. You put in work. We put in hard work every day, but we've realized a long time ago we can't make people successful because God does that. It's really true. Very good. Yeah. Promotion comes from God. Yeah. Amen. Now, as we as we uh, wrap up our conversation, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what you see in the future. Um, I know you've addressed a lot of great things already, and I'm sure it's going to be some of the same stuff. But maybe as you just peer into the next five, ten years, fifteen years, um, not just about Christian music, although certainly you can speak to that, but just music in general, and um, yeah. what, what do you see? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that on two levels. One, just the technical level, which would apply to all music, all recorded music, and how people are going to consume it and become aware of it. Those are always questions we're wrestling with and thinking about all the time, and it's been really interesting to watch European countries, uh, and there's lots of guesses about why this is, but streaming just take over and almost rebuild their music economy. Like Denmark now is about 80% streaming, and it's really brought life back to their music industry over there. It's a little country, and it's uh, nothing compared to the U.S., you know, but it's something interesting to watch. A lot of those smaller European countries that probably have better, more and better access to Wi-Fi than we do over here for everybody, free, that the, you know, the government provides. That may be one thing. There are a lot of guesses. But there's a lot of hope that whatever it is will come this way and that streaming will become a, more of a subscription service, Spotify, of course, and RDO, Pandora. We're definitely seeing an uptick in these things. They're growing it's very hard to monetize it and measure growth, you know, on a business level from it. And there are, we work with artists who don't want to be on Spotify because they feel like it's just giving their music away. And in a sense it is, but the more music that's on there, uh, the more critical mass, all, all that earns. We're hoping that, and all the music business is hoping, hoping that as downloads now even have flattened out, those have been growing over the last six, seven years, but as those have flattened this year and part of last year, that streaming can eventually, subscription streaming, where people are paying 10 bucks a month or whatever it is, can eventually come in and not replace where we were in 1999 when people were buying CDs for $20, you know, and we were selling 5 million of them on an artist. That day's never going to come back. 
but we've all pretty much readjusted and reset to a new level of of the music economy. But we have a whole lot of hope in streaming, and it's also just a great way to discover music. You, you know, they're they've been really smart with the social aspects of it and what your friends are listening to and uh, suggestions, you know, how that works. And if I'm listening to Nate and I want to hear things like him, it's just a great discovery tool. And we and others in this town are want to support anything that helps lead to music discovery, new music, new artist discoveries. So we're putting a lot of hope and prayer in that and and hope that in five years we can look back and go, boy, streaming really saved uh, I, I don't know if it'd be safe to say it saved us because we could figure out ways to make make it work where it is right now, but it's going to continue to cost and and, uh, and change what to invest in artists. So we hope that some new revenue can come in from streaming. Uh, on, on a more artistic or heart level, you know, honestly, I don't th- see things changing that much. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a confession. When we were trying to put Centricity together and think and ask the hard questions about why and who and how would we make ourselves different than everything else that's out there, and, you know, the, the hard questions of putting something together like this and starting something. I said, well, whatever it is, let's not make radio a part of it because radio won't be around in five years. <laughs> This is about six years ago, and radio is by far more important than it was six years ago. Uh, Christian radio has just done, it's so healthy right now uh, on a business level. It's done so well. They've done such a good job of determining who their listener is and really focusing on her and and playing music that that takes well with her. So I don't want to take anything away from what they've done. But it still could happen. I don't think it's illogical to think that radio could go away someday. I was wrong about it years ago, but if people aren't listening to radio the way they do these days, it will definitely change the way we sign artists, who we sign. Right now, I may have said this in the beginning, if we encounter you somehow, we start to talk, we really feel good about each other, the relationship is is bonding in a good way, and we discovered that your music, there's probably no way to get it to radio, to make it radio friendly without it just becoming a real dishonest thing for you musically. It, we probably can't work together because we really need radio. So that would, that would change things. You know, if radio wasn't imp- as important, we, we could sign different kinds of artists, artists who make music maybe that isn't as commercial that isn't uh, that it, it has more freedom of expression. Right now, most of those people have to sort of stay indie because labels need them to uh, focus on radio, mm-hmm. especially new artists who are breaking. Radio is just so so vital for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would definitely change things. But uh, other than that, I don't see things changing a lot. Still, you know, we could take this conversation full circle and go those three things, ministry, art, and, and say, or uh, commerce, I, you'll still be wrestling with those five years 
from now, 10 right. years from now, uh, just like you are today. And it'll be a big part of your decision about whether you want to pick that mantle up and sort of increase the stress on your life. Right now, you might be making music just because you enjoy it. And the fact that it glorifies God is just this ultimate extra blessing. And you don't have to worry about your income coming from that. There's a freedom in that 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 people enjoy that they don't really realize how, how grateful they should be for it. But to pick up that commerce piece uh, I, and try to make some part or all of your living from this, I think you're still going to be wrestling with that 20 years from now. Uh, and we'll still be considering that when we're talking with people and signing them, if we're still around 20 years from now. Uh, I, I don't see that part changing, but I do see uh, if radio, the dependence on radio could come down, I can see some gates opening for us where we're not quite as confined about the kind of artists we sign as we do now. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting stuff. Thanks for, for sharing that. Yeah. Um, you know, in looking at your, your website, centricitymusic.com, you have, under your links page, you have some really great resources for folks Good. And um, the indie artist resource documents, the mm-hmm. um, I guess some stuff on the Gospel Music Association, um, songwriting stuff, really, really helpful stuff. And so I, I'm definitely going to include that link in our show notes for today for those of you who are listening. And, Good. Um, yeah, so... And Nate, I, I should say that is somewhat of a curated list, but obviously that stuff is all over the internet. You know, right. somebody wants to Google support for indie artists there's more than they can read out there there is a lot yeah you're right but there's something too about folks who have kind of done the pre-legwork and made a list for them people like to to find those kinds of helpful guides too and and obviously people can trust you guys and what you're doing what your mission is and i think it's really helpful so and if i could add something about that there are a couple links there uh, that we've posted because I do think there's a, a common misunderstanding that's uh, totally understandable with indie artists that they send their stuff into us and they what they're looking for, obviously they're, if they've sent it to us, they're wondering if they, we might be interested in signing them. I get that. But beyond that, they're hoping that they could get some feedback on their music. If you're not interested in signing us, how come? What do I need to do to make this better or more commercial or mm. uh, you know, how do I improve my songwriting skill, whatever. I don't know of any label that really has time to do that with everything that comes in. You know, we get a lot of stuff that yeah. comes in and I get people wanting feedback for it, but typically that's not what a label provides. It, it comes down to a hopeful, some encouragement, but a yes or no uh, with us. So there are a couple links on there that people that do provide that kind of feedback, um, I think one from a song perspective and one from more of an artist, uh, you know, performing artist perspective, if I remember what's on there. So that might be important for some of your listeners to know. Yeah, that's true. Very, very, very true. But at the same time, I, I haven't seen many labels at all go through like, I don't know, how do I get... The, the, the FAQ thing to me was so interesting and I know a lot of folks would just be so benefited by reading that, you know? I'm good. I hope so. And um, so very good. Man, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for for being on the podcast. I know it's going to serve a lot of artists. I hope so. And uh, anything I can do to help, let me know. 
Well, that that conversation was um, for me personally just really inspiring. Um, I, I think there is so much there to to get. And you know, one of the things I, I realized after the fact is that we we talked about the four things that labels look for, um, but we didn't actually go through those four things. So um, that was my fault. I, I should have clarified that for, for him. But um, but let me just go through those now. And this is actually something you can go find yourself at their site, which I will leave a link for in our show notes for today. So head over to our show notes page. That's christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 31. And uh, the things I'm about to say will be in there as well as a few other links like to their site, centricitymusic.com and um, some other stuff. But let me, let me go through these things uh, quickly before we wrap up the episode here. So these four things, actually, so, so if you go over to their site, before I read them, I'll just tell you kind of where this is coming from. So it's centricitymusic.com and then their FAQ page. Um, basically, there's a question there, how do I get signed? And um, just a really helpful thing. And as he said, they're not so much steps as much as they are just kind of principles and things that they that, that, that they look for. So number one is work ethic. And um, number two is songs. Number three is uniqueness. And number four is talent. So as we said, talent, you know, is last. And um, it's interesting that, um, and it's certainly clear with the the recent stuff that, that folks have probably seen, whether it's Miley Cyrus or, I mean, you name it, there are so many things that we would um, just be appalled by out in the, in the music world. And, um, and I'm, I'm sorry if you're a Miley Cyrus fan. Um, but I'm sure that if you're a Miley Cyrus fan, you're probably not listening to this. And if you are, then, then please don't be offended. Um, but, but, but do forgive me if, if you're offended, I am sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway, so talent is last, but these first three things before talent ought to show, especially this is what I was trying to, this is what I was sort of saying. Um, in the interview is that those of us who at least we think we're talented, um, if there is any measure of talent, um, then these other three things should be encouraging. So number one is work ethic. And, um, they, they talk about the, this, this quote that Margaret Becker, um, Christian singer, Christian artist said where she, she felt like she was digging a trench with her bare hands before she was signed to a label. And then when she got signed to her, label, um, the label basically gave her a shovel, but she still had to keep digging. So, um, it's a very helpful, very helpful illustration because just because you signed to a label doesn't mean all of a sudden it's just this glamorous thing and you, and you, um, and you stop doing the hard work. And, uh, and so even these days, it's more important than ever to really do a lot of that work on your own before, um, you go to a label. Um, and then number two is songs and, um, songs are so important and, and if you don't have any, if you don't have good music, if you're not working on the music that you make, if you're not seeking every day, every single day to to improve in your writing and in your and your lyric crafting, then um, then then you should definitely stop because music is what obviously that's what this is about um, in terms of what we're doing. It's about the Lord, but music is what we're talking about here. And if you don't have the music, then you don't have anything to offer anybody. So. That's number two. And number three, um, uniqueness. And actually, they say qualified uniqueness at their site um, because um, they're, they're wanting to make sure that we, we don't misunderstand that to, to mean like really, really super different because they there is a balance between um, being appealing to the folks 
who are buying the music and being commercial um, in this time. There, there's a real balance between that and then at the same time being unique. So we, we still want to um, serve the market, serve the people who are the listeners as artists, and um, and we want to be ourselves at the same time. So that's always a, a, a real like he said, kind of messy thing to figure out. Um, but that's that's part of artist development is is seeking to grow as an artist um, in your uniqueness, but also continuing to ask what um, what what is it that serves people? What is it that people want to hear? What is it that that God has given me that's going to be a gift to others? And um, you know, when you go out and just you know because of expression or whatever, and you want to express yourself, you go out and you make the most abstract record in the world and it's apparently beautiful and amazing to you and and 10 other people that's okay but um at the end of the day does that really serve the people that you 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 are called to serve so um anyway that's that's a tricky one but but that's what they they call that qualified uniqueness and then number four talent and um and as he said they're never going to assign anybody who's not talented um at at some level right but um but at the same time they're not going to um, be able to sign just some just just on talent alone. So someone that that shows up and they're amazing, they're not just going to sign them if they don't have those first three. So that's a, a really helpful um, thing to sort of base off of and to kind of measure, you know, how you're doing as an artist, how you're developing. And um, anyway, so I, I've included again, I've included some of these important links in our our show notes. Um, and again, over at the Centricity Music site, you'll find some great resources like like at their links page. Um, they have um, an index of, of indie resources where there are several documents and different resources that you can look at, like, for example, a song evaluation form, really helpful. Um, here's here's one. It's interesting. From band to brand. Um, I'm sure that has to, I haven't actually seen that myself, but I'm sure that has to do with, with uh, the whole thing of developing um, and something that's marketable and, um, and kind of being able to communicate your story and your brand as an artist in a, in a more clear way but um anyway so that's over at centricitymusic.com and if you head over to links and scroll down to the bottom of the page you'll see a, a handful of of resources there the gospel music association um their site and over there at the gospel music Asso- i'm sorry gospelmusic.org yeah it's gma gospel music association but the site is gospelmusic.org and um yeah, there's just so much out there for for artists who are not signed to to learn. I mean, it, we live in an ex, we live in an exciting time where we can educate ourselves, um, we can develop um, without having to to really spend much money these days, and uh, and and really begin to grow right where we are. And that's that's what we talk about a lot here on this podcast. If this is your first time listening. And um, you're an artist. Um, I encourage you to go back and check out some of the podcasts, like um, Understanding Copyrights um, with Susan Fontaine Godwin. She's the the um, the executive. I think she's CEO or COO of um, Christian Copyright Solutions, and they have a whole um, section of their of their company that's devoted to indie artists to help them understand copyrights and and licensing and um, publishing administration. So you know that's a great service. Um, and um, some of the other podcasts like uh, Dave Craft and The Importance of Learning How to Lead, that's episode 27 a few weeks back. Um, you know, if, if you if you don't know how to lead yourself, if you don't know how to get up in the morning and and um, and fall on God's grace and say, God, help me be a self-starter, help me by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, 
put one foot in front of the other and and work hard, um, then you're going to be in trouble. You need we really we really need to um, learn how to lead ourselves, and um, in doing so, we learn how to lead others as well. But um, and then of course in this whole conversation, I think again Stephen Miller's book um, Worship Leaders We Are Not Rock Stars that really addresses the whole issue of identity. And if we are walking in God's grace and living in the good of the gospel every day, then um, we're going to be guarded from, you know, comparison and striving, and we'll be happy to really um, grow in the areas where we need to grow and work on developing our talents and being good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And um, I'm excited about an upcoming episode with Bob Coughlin. He's going to be on the podcast here soon. And, um, we, I've already recorded it with him, but it's just not live yet. But um, he had a talk at a Worship God conference, and um, uh, the, the name of the talk was Faithful to Grow, and it's it's really an, an exposition of the parable of the talents, pa- parable of the talents uh, in Matthew 25, and um, just really, really important. And so all of these things, you know, even as as John said in this interview today, um, at the end of the day, we, we, we bow our knee to God's sovereignty, and we, and we trust that, that if we do our part, if we do the hard work part, um, you know, he's going he's gonna to bring about the growth. So a lot of good things to talk about. A lot, I could continue to talk about all this stuff. Um, I'm really excited about a lot of the things that, that we've been talking about. I think, you know, those of you who, um, I'm just thinking of this now off the cuff here, those of you who are on their email list, I, I sent out an email a few um few uh, weeks ago, I guess, I don't know, I can't remember which one it was now, but um, basically just really kind of confessing that, you know, in doing this podcast, I've really um, seen just a disparity in my own life as an artist. Um, I mean, here I am doing all these podcast interviews, creating blog posts at our site, and um, trying to to serve other artists and um, resource you guys and, and, and put in your hands the necessary tools and, 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 the, and the ways to think about music biblically and how to pursue this stuff. And uh, I guess God's just been showing me that I, obviously I have to apply these to my own life. And I, I look around and I go, when, when was the last time that I wrote a song? When was the last time that I actually practiced my guitar instead of just playing it um, at my sort of weekly stuff, you know, whether it's with the church or whatever. But um, so I'm being personally challenged in all of these conversations. I, that's what I, that's why I say all this, and um, have recently really been trying to just um, really apply that that number one thing there, that that work ethic thing, and um, you know by God's grace, and um, and just see Him do the work and trust Him with the results, and really be free to to um, be someone that 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 seeks to have a return on the investment that God has given me. Um, you know, that's, that's what the parable of the talents is all about. The master comes and he gives talents to these different people and they at once go and they begin to trade and begin to make an, an investment on, on their gifts and they, they bring a return. They bring growth to the master. And that's, at the end of the day, what this is about. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from from the Lord. So, all right, I, I have um, gone longer than I normally do after after these interviews, but but that's it for today's episode. Again, just go check out freemusicgift.com. If you are new with us, um, that is your gift to uh, to have. It's it's a couple of downloads that that I give those folks who are, are new to the podcast. So freemusicgift.com and um, find out how to how to write songs more effectively. That's one of the things there, and some free music as well. So freemusicgift.com. 
www.thepodcastmaker.com. Also, um, if you have been listening to these podcasts and are enjoying them, I would love for you to do me a favor. Uh, head over to iTunes in your iTunes store and uh, please leave us a rating and review. That'd be awesome. That way, other folks like yourself can find our podcast more easily. So what happens in the iTunes world is when there's a rating or a review, um, the rankings go up and, and it makes the podcast itself uh, be more visible in searches. So would love for you to go do that and uh, that'd be a big huge help to us so hey i don't take this for granted that you listen to this podcast it means so much and i'm super grateful so hope to see you next week thanks so much for visiting we'll see you soon thank you for listening to the cmb podcast for more valuable content including helpful articles and video visit christianmusicblog.com